So I'm trusting that today is the Lord is the is the word of the Lord is declared that you would receive it and um, and uh, that the Lord would have an everlasting impact into your hearts. And so Kevin did an, an amazing job of determining. Okay, we're going to sit on this side of the building where there is shade, and it looks like there will be shade for most. And as you watch the sun creep in on the musicians, um, you're thinking, I wonder if this is going to have an impact on Todd's length of sermon today, because the sun is creeping towards me, and I can assure you this, it will have zero impact on the length of the delivery of the sermon, because the sun and I get along really well. And so for those who are like, man, I thought we had a spot in the shade and it's running out, well, you know what? Enjoy it. It's an expression of the goodness of God as he pours his sunshine down on us in this really wonderful and beautiful place. All right, so here we go. Um, this, is, this is July 31st, right? July 31st. And uh, it's the last day of the fast that we called our church to be a part of. Started at the very beginning of the month. And this was the focus of our, of our time of fasting and praying. It was this, that we would be praying that our children would hunger after God alone. Simple prayer, but it's the most cover-all prayer we can actually ever pray for our kids, that their desires, that their affections would be first and foremost simply for Him and Him alone, and then entrusting to Him, to God, everything else that He would choose to bring their way, that that our kids would hunger for God. My prayer was this, that I would hunger for God above all things, that my wife would hunger for God above all things, that my kids would hunger for God above all things, that my grandkids would hunger for God above all things, and that Summit Church would hunger for God in all things. And so these are some of the things that we have been hearing as a staff throughout the entire month. I'm just going to share two or three with you. First, um, we had an individual come and express. And, and whether this, this person was involved in the fast or not, they were surrounded by the prayers that we were, being, were being offered by Summit Church on their behalf. Moved in worship like they never had been before. I praise God for that. I praise God that he was moving in such a way that this person was provoked to tears in worship, being overcome by the presence of the Lord. Praise God for that. Here's a good one for you. This one's kind of fun for me. I was sitting and I was speaking with an individual. And if you're here, I'm using your story and, uh, because it's a really good one. Uh, we're, like, we're like a week and a half, two weeks into the fast. And he says, man, I just, this was my fast. I was choosing I'm not going to snack in between meals. And if, you're, if that was you, that's a hard one, isn't it? Especially after dinner time. So he's like, man, there was one day. It was like, I don't remember what time of day it was. He said, this is what I, this is what I did. Like, I just, I gave up. I gave up. So I went and I got a granola bar. I ate it. Guess what? Not satisfying. The granola bar didn't satisfy. So guess what he did? He went back, got another one, ate it. Guess what? Didn't satisfy him. He went back a third time to get a third granola bar to, at the end of the completion of the third granola bar, realizing this is not satisfying. That's a work of the Holy Spirit of God in his life, revealing to him, hey, look, this is about hungering after me, God says, not granola bars. It was kind of fun, the discussion. There was no rebuke, um, but the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God was real in his life. How about this? Maybe this was you. This was a common theme, even for me. After two weeks, 
Food was never even the battle. Because the Lord, if you remember the beginning of Isaiah 58, Isaiah says, if you're going to fast, this is how your fast should be. Should be. I'm rebuking you, Israel, he says, for pursuing in the day of your fast your own pleasures, for fighting and hitting with a wicked fist. And so when I'm two weeks in, I'm realizing this is no longer a battle about food. It's a battle about my soul and my spirit being responsive to God as he convicts me. And I can't tell you how many times the temptation was. It's not even the food. It's the, it's the desire to pursue my own pleasure that the enemy knows if I just needle him enough, he's going to give in to his own pleasure. How about this one? And in the day of your fast, you hit with a wicked fist. You fight. A fast like this is not going to make your words be heard by me, God says. Your prayers aren't going to be heard. But I learned it wasn't even about food. It was about my spirit desiring things that I wanted. And when I couldn't have it, it made me short-fused. It made me impatient. It made me want to fight. In situations where Wendy's like, I didn't even know that was in you. Well, you know what? Praise God that he has helped me to control the outward expression, but the inward churning in battle is still real and alive. Pursuit of pleasure, impatience, fighting and hitting with the wicked fist. These are the things that we intended for. We wanted to see the Lord do in the life of our church. God, to reveal these things to us, prune us, draw us ever closer to him and have us hunger for him. Fasting is the refiner of desires. It helps us to see the difference between what we need and what we actually want. It reveals to us how much we actually truly have. We have so much. And reveals to us, fasting reveals to us, us how much we actually take for granted. It shows us what we truly don't need when we think we need it. And it exposes areas of our lives where we actually come to a place where we start feeling entitled. I've had so much of this. The stream of unending blessing has been so much. The day it is removed, we still believe that we are entitled to receive it. Last August, I don't know if some of you may remember, um, we were working through the book of James. James chapter 5 was, uh, um, was delegated to me. And uh, James is not, he's not, today we're going to be looking at Paul charging Timothy to charge um, those that he would send the letter on to, the churches. He's warning them about riches. In James, last summer, he is rebuking the rich for the way they handled their wealth. They were hoarders of God's provision, understanding and recognizing the provision that he had poured out to them, yet they kept it for themselves. They saw people around them suffering, and yet they refused to help because they were hoarding. And they were expressing hearts that were never satisfied. I always want more. I always want more. When is it going to be enough? When I have just a little bit more. That little bit more never being satisfied. Today, Paul is instructing Timothy how to address, not rebuke, but warn the rich. Warn the rich. It's not a rebuke, it's a warning. And this is the key verse. This is the key verse. Tail end of a fast, denying ourselves specific foods or meals. I was having a discussion with an elder a couple of years ago, and we had a fun lunch talking about this, that we're not supposed to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. 
Not supposed to set our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who does this, who richly provides for us everything. He richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. Everything that you see around us, every spoonful of food you put to your mouth, everything you set your eyes on, every experience you have, he fully intends for you to experience with the fullest of joy. And so as we walk away from today, this is my hope. This is my hope. We go back to hunger for the right thing, that our kids would hunger for God, that we would hunger for God. This is it that we would first and foremost be concerned with our relationship with the provider over the things that he provides for us. Hope in God above all things, the one who is the provider. Let him deal with the provision, adjusting our hearts as we are in relationship with him to enjoy them to their fullest. And then, and then, rightly responding to the one God who is the one in which we are supposed to have our hope placed. All right? So here we go. If you would, turn with me to 1 Timothy. That felt like a really long intro. Um, and the sun is creeping, isn't it? All right, so turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 to 19, and we're going to read it together. 1 Timothy 6, 17 to 19. Paul has just given Timothy instructions about himself and how his behavior is supposed to be. And now he's saying, Timothy, I want you now to send this warning to the rich. And so here we go. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works to be generous and ready to share, thus storing, up for the, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All right, so it's important to understand who Paul is talking to. Right now he's talking to the rich. It's, a, it's, not, a, it's not a rebuke, it's a warning. Okay, so listen, rich person. And so we're sitting here right now, and I'm supposing that the minds of some might go to, well, I suppose maybe to some degree that applies to me, um, but not completely because I really am not a, not a possessor of wealth. So let's, let's, let's be sure to understand that he is actually speaking to every single one of us, all right? So here we go. All right. If you make a combined household income of $25,000, in, in, in the broader context of the entire world, you are in the top 2% most wealthy people in the world. Okay? And so here's what you can do. You can go be like, all right, well, I get that. Like, if you were to drop me with $25,000 into the poorest country in the world, I suppose I would be rich. But not here in America. No way. That's, that's, that's poor in America. Okay, so let's bring it home. Okay, in the United States of America, according to the Department of Health and Human Services, you are, you are above the poverty line, which means you have discretionary spending. If you have a household of four and you make more than $27,500. Now, right now, you're sitting here in West Michigan, maybe Grand Haven or Holland, and you're like, there is absolutely no way I can support a family on $27,500. Like maybe rural, some small town America where rent is $350 a month, I can do it. My mortgage is $600 a month, but no way. No way, not here, Okay. So, so we need to understand that Paul is actually speaking with us. 
Because here's what I believe. Every person here has some level of discretionary spending. And discretionary spending means this, that you are able to even the smallest degree spend money that will bring you security, that will bring you some form of comfort, that will provide you with some level of pleasure or gain you some position of status. Whether it's over your best friend or your employees or you're a government official or whatever. Status. Discretionary income. If you don't like your jeans and you can go to the Goodwill store and spend 3 to $5 on a pair of jeans, you have discretionary income. If you have determined, you know what, we're going to have pizza tonight instead of ham and cheese sandwiches, you have discretionary spending. If you would choose to have ramen noodles over a glass of water, you have discretionary spending. All right? That makes you rich. In this present age, he says, in, Paul says, in this present age, as for the rich in this present age, you could be like, you could be one of those contexters and cultural people that need to understand, oh, well, that was for then. That was 2,000 years ago. No, what Paul is saying right now, the rich, the rich in this present age is the church age. So what applied to the church 2,000 years ago applies to the church today. So that's you and me. All right? Clearly, clearly, Paul is talking to us here in West Michigan. All right, so that's who he's speaking to. So what does he charge these people? Here's the first thing. He says, don't be arrogant. Do not be arrogant. Do not be conceited. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty is the word used here. Haughty. It means high-minded. It means conceited or arrogant. It means entitled. It's a thought that I am actually the center. I am the center. How does this happen? Because it does. Well, if you bounce back to verse 10 in the same chapter, I had a discussion with another uh, gentleman this past week about the insidious nature of the love of money. The insidious nature of the love of money. Verse 10 says, The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It starts small. It starts innocent. It starts pure. It could even start with, Oh God, you have blessed me with this. An act of praise and worship. And over the course of time, receiving blessing upon blessing, you become entitled. You begin to believe that you are the center. Having expectation. Sometimes it's given, sometimes it is expected. So let me use an example here of how this might work. Let's say, for example, God, right now you walked out of here, you went home, and in your, in your mailbox was a million dollars. You've been provided with a million dollars. I can tell you this, as a believer in Jesus Christ, your heart starts out right now saying, Oh my goodness, God, what have you blessed me with? I make you this commitment today that I'm going to use every dime for your glory because you have blessed me with this. Keep in mind, God has provided all things for our enjoyment. All right? It starts out like this. I'm going to use this for your glory, God. And it turns into, all right, God, I'm going to buy this toy. Let's call it a motorcycle. Because that might be what I would do. I'm going to buy a motorcycle. God, you know what? I'm going to use this for your glory. I'm going to 
take milk to the person that needs milk. I'm going to transport so-and-so to wherever. Like All of a sudden, and before you know it, it becomes, over the course of time, your eyes are seeing other motorcycles. Man, I like that one better. I want to get that one because that one's nicer than that one. That's nicer than his. That one's faster than his. I want the one that's faster than his. And before you know it, all of a sudden, you want to have the best-looking bike, the fastest bike, the most shiny toy. And in the beginning, it started out with, I'm going to use this for God's glory. And all of a sudden, you take it and you say, I'm the center. I'm the center. Here's another personal example. A friend of mine for 20 years would be going to Colorado for skiing. We've, We've learned how to do it on a dime, if you can believe that. But here's how it starts out. Every ski trip. Lord, we're sitting on the ski lift. We're headed up into the Rocky Mountains and we're seeing... God, thank you for these incredible expressions of your glory and that you have provided us with the opportunity to do this and ski for your glory and experience your creation and see your beauty. And we're tearing down the mountains and we get to the bottom and our attitudes change in the moment when we see we might have a lift line we're going to have to stand 10 10 minutes in. I I didn't pay 90 bucks a day to stand in this lift line and all of a sudden it changes. Haughtiness. The warning is... By Paul, do not become haughty. It will sneak up on you. It will come when you least expect it and you will realize. The thing I intended to use for a blessing turned into an expression of me being the center. All right, so how do I avoid becoming haughty? Remembering this, God gave it to you. I don't care how hard you work. I don't care how lucky you are. Every single thing you have has been given to you by God alone. You didn't deserve it, and you didn't earn it. Read through verse 17 again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who what? Who richly provides. He has given you absolutely everything you have. Even if you think your work ethic is the best ever. He can take it away in a moment. Just look at what Job, Job said. Job had, he was one of the most wealthy men in his time, recorded in the Old Testament. And this is what he says after he loses his farm, his family, his everything. He says this, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and gave to him abundantly, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If you want to avoid becoming arrogant and conceited with what you have, think in terms of Job. I understand. I brought nothing into this world, now take nothing from it. May the name of the Lord be praised. Praised. Okay, here's another one. Paul charges Timothy, go after the rich about this. Count on the provider and not the provided. Count on the provider and not the provided. The very thing we've been praying for for the past month. Count on the one that provides and not the things he has provided. All right? Look at verse 17 again. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor what? To set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. What makes you rich? We easily, our minds easily go to the almighty dollar. But listen, I want to challenge you with something, okay? Yes, while that is a currency, currency can take so many different forms. Let's put it this way. This is what makes you rich. 
whatever satisfies your soul. Whatever satisfies your soul. So, I, what satisfies my soul is this. There is a pie that Grand Traverse Pie Company makes that is very satisfying to the soul. Now, you can say, but you got got to have 12 or 15 bucks to buy this pie. And I can say, well, it's a peach cherry crumb top. Peach cherry crumb top. You have to special order it, and it's spectacular. But you need money to buy it. No, not really. What if I had a backyard full of peach trees and cherry trees and crumb top and a wife that knew how to make it? Which I do have the wife that knows how to make it. I just don't have the other things. That is satisfying to my soul. Keep in mind, what makes you rich is satisfying to your soul. And you need to think of it this way. How do I block the wind? Can you hear me? God intends for us to be satisfied with Him above all things. And He has provided with me pie for my enjoyment. But I won't enjoy it as much if I don't have my priorities in order and God first. So first, what makes you rich is that which satisfies your soul. Things that you can use to secure safety, comfort, pleasure, status. So how is it that I come to trust in these things? Because Paul is saying, don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, very familiar verse to many of us. When we lose sight of, God has placed in our hearts this eternity-sized hole that He can only fill Himself. It can only be filled by Him. Not by things, but by Him. We try and try and try to use provided things to satisfy the unsatisfiable hole in our heart. That's how we place our trust in the uncertainty of riches. We take the provided things and we replace them, the provider with them, and we try and fill this hole with three granola bars to realize at the end, you know what? God is the only one that can satisfy, satisfy that hunger. How do I avoid trusting in my riches? Let's consider Psalm 37. The psalmist says, David, delight yourself in the Lord. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord first. And He will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord. Hunger for the Lord. Trust it to Him. Know that He is first and foremost in your life. Make Him first and foremost, not the things that he has provided for you. You avoid trusting in your riches by pursuing God alone. Everlasting, satisfying relationship with him. And second, as you delight yourself in the Lord, then you entrust to him to provide for you the very things you delight in, like peach and cherry crumb top pie. Let him determine your delights. As you delight yourself in the Lord, this is one verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. You delight yourself in the Lord. If that is right, he will arrange the desires of your heart in accordance with what he believes you need and is best for you and you will enjoy the most. If you run ahead of that 
if you go after your delights and then place God as your desire after that, things aren't going to be nearly as satisfying as he, is intent, he intends them to be. Count on the provider and not the provided. All right, here's a third charge. Paul charges them to enjoy God's great providence, and this is why. He charges us. He says, we are to enjoy them. Who God who richly has provided us, verse 17, with everything to enjoy. Enjoy his great providence. And I would say this, if Paul is charging us to enjoy the riches, the things that God lavishes on us, if you are not enjoying them, I would declare to you that you are sinning. Enjoy it. So here's a question for you. Am I enjoying the things that God has given me? What determines what fruit in your life reveals that I'm actually enjoying the things that God has given me? What robs you of enjoying the things that God has given you? Here's what I believe it is. You like what that person has better. You like what that person has better. You are unsatisfied right now with this thing that God has provided for you. Maybe it's because you have seen others living in situations that don't exactly match the way you live. So here's an example for you. Dear friend and pastor in, uh, in West Africa, in Liberia, his name is Moses. I know many of you remember him. Any of you have met him. I remember having a discussion with him. He comes over here and he sees us living in absolute opulence. He walks into our grocery store and is overcome by what he sees. Third poorest country in the world, the times when we went. And I remember coming home after seeing it two or three times. I'm like, Lord, as I, climb, as I walk into my house, this climate controlled. No bugs. As I, as I slip into my bed with clean sheets and air conditioning and heating, I'm like, Lord, the temptation in that moment is to say, no, I can't enjoy this because I know what Moses is living with in Liberia and without. Discussion with him, like Moses, do you want to come to the United States? We didn't want him to because he was doing magnificent work there. And he's like, even though I've seen all you have, this is where God has called me to be. God has called you to be here in West Michigan, having the things you have. He intends for you to enjoy it to its fullest. And remember, God provided it for you now. If he determines tomorrow to take it away, the name of the Lord is still praised. Enjoy it. Don't feel guilty. Enjoy what the Lord has given you. Don't grumble over what you don't have. Celebrate what you do have. Enjoy God's great providence. Okay, here's a fourth one. Paul charges them to celebrate both God and his providence. And this is how we do it. Look at verse 18. This is how we celebrate. This is an expression of things being in order in your life. You're delighting in the Lord, you're hungering for Him first, and you're entrusting to Him the delight of the things that He intends for you, desire the things He intends for you to enjoy. Look at it. You are to do good 
We are to be rich in good works. We are to be generous and ready to share. You know what these things are. You know what it means to do good. You know what it is to be rich in good works. You know what it is to be generous and to be ready to share. Why would you do that? Okay, God has charged you to do this. Why would you actually do verse 18? Be good, ready to do, ready to be generous and, and share. Why would you do these things? Here's what many believe. If I do this, then God is going to do this for me. If I give, if I am good, if I am generous, if I am ready to share, if I am, if I am full of good works, then he's going to do for me. That is out of order. That is an attempt to manipulate God, and God cannot be manipulated. I want to share this one very clear truth with you. God gives because that's what he does, not because of what you do. God gives because of what, that's what he does. And the fullest expression of his giving so freely, even when we don't deserve it, is Jesus Christ on the cross when he would send his only son to die for an undeserving people to make way for us to be in restored and right relationship with him. We did nothing to deserve that, and yet he gave. So when you, when you are generous and willing to share, simply do it without expecting anything in return and delight in the Lord and the things that he has provided for you. Don't manipulate. Don't think to manipulate because you can't do it. Simply share without expecting anything in return. Simply do it to express a desire to honor God. As for the rich, this is it. Here's the outcome. Start at verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. We are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. And this is the outcome that we must celebrate. Look at verse 19. Thus, as we do this, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Let's put it in this ter- these terms. Jesus' words on the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. It is us storing up for ourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal because where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Moth and rust destroy, destroy thieves break in and steal. Listen, that's uncertainty of riches when we do that here on earth. Instead, let's let our hearts be in heaven where our treasure is. And the ultimate treasure is Jesus Christ. How do we experience true life now? Truly life. Listen, we live, in the, we live in the right now. We have the Holy Spirit of God in us. We get to experience the fullness of blessing as we are in relationship with him. But the truest of true life is coming the day where we are able to stand face to face with him. And I can't wait for that day. How do I set my hope? And how do I rightly enjoy the things he has given me? It's a lifelong battle. 
The flesh wants control and God wants control. Our hunger needs to be for him alone, setting aside simple pleasures first for his sake and for relationship with him. The more we train ourselves to hope in him, the more we will enjoy the riches that he so generously provides us. And so, so do this, church. Let's settle in together and know that this is a lifelong spiritual battle, hungering for God above all things, and then enjoying the things he has for us. Okay, let's pray. Father in heaven, as we, as we finish this month of fasting now, I think of the spread that will be placed before us. Lord, may we hunger for you above all things. May our kids hunger for you above all things. May we celebrate in the things that you have given us. May you be our great desire. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.